And, um, you know, I, I got a phone call from Wanda early Thursday morning. It was probably like 7-ish, around 7 o'clock. I got a phone call from her, and, uh, and, and she just told me over the phone. She said, Gary, I'm scared. She said, I'm in the emergency room. I was admitted last night around 8 o'clock, and I think I'm dying, and th- I think this is really the time. I think this is really the time. And she said, I don't want to die alone. That's what she told me. And, uh, you know, Wanda wasn't afraid of being uh, of death. She just didn't want to die alone. And, and nobody wants to die alone. And, and so she asked if we could come and if I could call Matt and Carolyn and ask them to be there. So we uh, immediately got ready and, and headed over to Vacaville, to the Vacaville emergency room. And, and then Matt and Carolyn were right behind us, got there right after we did. And, and uh, so it, because she was in the emergency room still waiting to get a room in the hospital, we were only allowed to go in two at a time. So we went in for a spell, and then Matt and Carolyn went in. And, and to be honest with you, the, the last few days, I've kind of felt like I've been a little bit of a fog. And so I'm going to be preaching from a fog today as well. But, but um, you know, she was um, just the, the last few days have been, for me, um, I've felt sadness because, you know, this is a dear friend. This is someone that we love dearly, you know. But I've also felt a measure of joy and gladness. And, and not glad that she died, but glad that she, her suffering is over. Glad that she's with Jesus. You know, truly, truly glad. And, um, uh, and, and, and for me, I remember, and, and, you know, over the last few days, what was really special for me is that we began to reach out to many of you, and many of you came on Friday, and, and, and I wanted to get, I'm sorry, your mom sent me, Lauren, your mom sent me your video. I wasn't able to, to get it into a slideshow, but I wanted to show with you a little bit of some of what happened on Friday night. And I know not everybody was able to be there, but everybody who was supposed to be, be there was able to be there. And, and it was a precious, precious moment. Uh, it was, uh, I, I can't tell you how much listening, uh, you know, for not just, I'm going to talk about a few people, but it wasn't just those few, it was all of us. But I, you know, I appreciated so much, Carolyn. I just loved I loved listening to you read the scriptures. I loved listening to you speak words of encouragement. And I saw Wanda Brighton. I loved listening to Joy lead us in worship. We worshiped together uh, in that little room, and uh, and it was special. It was really special. And uh, you know, last night. We, we had been there most of the day. I'd been there most of the day yesterday, much of the day Friday. And uh, we were supposed to go up to Sacramento to, um, to have dinner with Caleb and 
at that point, Wanda was comatose, and we didn't know how long she had. We didn't know if it was a few hours or, you know, we knew it was soon. We knew it was coming soon. And um, so I went ahead and followed through on that commitment, and Joy and Faithy and Cass came by and picked me up a special time with Caleb. But while we were there, uh, Matt texted me that Wanda had passed. And Matt, you are a very good pastor. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you because Wanda did not die alone. Um, you know, for me, I have struggled much of my life not really knowing how to grieve. Not knowing how to grieve well. And like every other person in this room, my life has been touched at times by sorrow. Like every other person in this room, my life has been touched by death. And um, and um, it's a strange place to be uh, to be a pastor. And it's supposed to guide people through dark and difficult times when we, me. When I'm saying we, I'm talking about pastors like myself, sometimes struggle with our own confusion. Struggle with our own grief. Struggle with our own lack of understanding of how to make sense of really hard questions. Um, You know, I, I remember my first encounter with death was my dad's grandfather. And my grandfather, my dad's grandfather, he was 900 years old. Okay, he wasn't 900. But I was like six years old. He was like 90. So for me, it was the same as being like 900. It was like, just add a zero to it. I'm 60 today. That would make him 900. We're adding zeros, right? Um, But it was as a, a boy trying to grapple with death for the first time, I just didn't understand it. I just didn't understand had a, a mother ask me yesterday, when do you start talking to your children about death? And, and I think you start talking with them about death when they start asking you questions. And the truth is, they're not going to understand everything that's okay. Because it's not a one-time conversation. Usually there are many conversations. That's the way life is. And, uh, but, you know, I remember feeling death, really feeling death, for the first time uh, when I was a senior in high school, when both my grandfathers passed away. Uh, both of them, uh, it was long. It was a slow death for both of them. Uh, every weekend, my parents would get in the car, and they would drive over to eastern Arkansas. And uh, I would stay in Little Rock, and 
uh, they, my dad would stay up all night with one of my grandfathers, then he would stay up all night the next night with my other grandfather, just taking care of them. And, um, you know, I remember uh, when my dad's dad, Papa, passed away. Uh, I remember getting in the car with all my cousins, the guy cousins, and we were going to be the pallbearers. And I remember we were in the car. My cousin Terry was, was driving. My cousin Jerry was riding shotgun. And I don't know how many guys we had in this car, but, you know, it was back when nobody wore seatbelts, so it didn't really matter. You, there's probably, I don't know, there was like eight of us in this car. And we were starting to back out. And then Jerry reached out, and, and Jerry's like this big, strong, powerful guy. He played college basketball at UCA where I went to school. But he hits the, he, he hits the side of the, the door, and it sounded like we ran into a car. And then and Terry got really bad, the, you know, hit the brake real hard, thinking that we had had a wreck, and the rest of us were laughing at Terry. But, you know, but we were, you know, and it's kind of like one of those moments where, you, you, you know, you're sad, but you kind of need to break the, the sadness with a little bit of humor. But, and then I remember my other grandfather at his funeral. I remember we were was in a little Baptist church outside of Goodwin, Arkansas. <laughs> outside of Goodwin, Arkansas. Goodwin is, if you blink when you drive through it, you will miss it. So if you're outside of Goodwood, it means you are in the middle of nowhere. And that's where we were, out in the middle of nowhere in the fields. It was, you know, probably this time of year, middle of winter. Uh, everything was harvested, so there was nothing in the fields. The, the, the skies were gray. Everything was gray. And uh, the church was just packed with people. It was packed with people. I remember my Uncle Bob just sobbing, you know, the loss of his father. And, and he was a pastor not knowing how to grapple with death when it had touched him so closely. And, and um, I remember I walked out after the funeral, and I felt so completely, totally alone. And um, I remember just standing in the middle of this field, and there were people, I mean, the church was, it was packed. I mean, there was no, uh, the hallways, every part of the building that there were standing room, there were people, and outside, my, my grandfather was a beloved man in eastern Arkansas, and um, and I remember just standing out in this field, just kind of feeling completely alone. And empty. And not knowing how to make sense of what I was facing. And I remember... Carolyn Fleming was a close personal friend of my mom's. Mine too. I mean, I'd known her my whole life. And uh, I remember I just stood there and I just began to weep. And she came over and she held me. And uh, I just wept. And so, um, you know, a few years ago I lost my dad. And again, I didn't know how to face it. I didn't know what to do. I just, um, you know, I was living my life without healthy boundaries. And I kept trying to push and do everything that I feel like a pastor is supposed to do. I didn't slow down. I needed to slow down before my dad died. But I didn't slow down. And I could hardly preach without crying. I could hardly pray without crying. And... Um, and over the last six years, I have experienced a measure of healing. 
And more and more, I find myself talking with my mom about my dad, and I find myself laughing, not crying. It's like it feels like it's taken a long time to experience healing. You know, the thing is, grief is crazy. It's crazy for all of us. It's different. And all of us, we're going to deal with it differently. And so I can't say this is the way to deal with it because I don't think there is one way. But I think there are things that we find in the scriptures that speak to us, that speak to us, that are like anchors. Uh, when uh, uh, in the ancient world, when a ship was tossed about by a storm and it was, it was in danger of being thrown up against rocks and being sunk, what they would do is oftentimes they would throw an anchor off one side of the boat. But they didn't just throw out one anchor. They would also throw out another anchor from another side of the boat. And that the two together gave it greater stability in the storm. And what I'm going to say is that I don't know how to coach you to go through grief. But I know a couple of places to drop an anchor. That's what I know. And so what I want to do for you is I want to read for you. And it's kind of a long text. And, and, and uh, I, I'm, I, I just, it's a longer text, and today is not my typical sermon. And I'm just going to ask you for a lot, of, a lot of grace as I go through this. But I want to speak to you a little bit about the Corinthian context and, and about their struggle with this concept of the resurrection. And I want to talk about this as a place to, to throw off an anchor to help us ride out through storms of grief that all of us have faced and will face again because all of us have been touched by death and we will be touched again. And we need a place that we can toss out these anchors to help us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I want to read to you the text, and from time to time I want to comment on different aspects of it, and hopefully through this some of it will make sense for you. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we need to understand that the church in Corinth was a church that was in conflict. It was a church, it was a carnal church. It was a church that was very, very fleshly, not really, really spiritual. It was a a church that was divided over many different things. Many of the people were struggling with immorality of all different kinds. Uh, They were struggling with lawsuits among each other in the church. They were trying to settle conflicts in the church in a legal court system. They were a church that struggled with, um, with the thing that was supposed to unite them. The use of spiritual gifts was dividing them. And, and they were just a church that, where there was all this confusion. And one of the things that they had confusion about was this concept of the resurrection. That God would one day raise our earthly bodies, but make them, not earthly again, but make them spiritual. To make them utterly, completely different from the way they are right now. And this, I remember as a boy hearing my dad say, I can't wait to get my glorified body. Joy's nodding her head. She, she remembers hearing this from my dad. He's looking forward to getting his glorified body. I am too. I am going to ride my bike from Alaska to Argentina with my glorified body. Uh, I can't do that right now, but I'm going to do it then. But, but they had a hard time grasping this concept of the resurrection. And that's because in the Greco-Roman world, 
And remember, that's who Paul is writing to. He's writing to to people who are Greeks, and and a lot of the concepts of Scripture are still foreign to them. And they were still shaped a lot by their old pagan identity and their old pagan way of thinking. And so many of them denied a future resurrection of our earthly bodies. They denied this. They didn't believe that there would be an actual resurrection. And for them, they believed that that um, I, I wrote this out to make sure I said it right, that many people in the Greco-Roman world believed that death extinguished life completely, utterly. That's what they believed. Or, or others believed that it reduced man to this shadowy, unsubstantial existence in the underworld. In other words, we're not even ghost-like. We're more shadow-like. Barely a being at all just kind of floating through this underworld kind of existence. And this way of thinking had crept its way into the Corinthian church because it was all that they knew from what they had been raised to believe. It was their way of thinking. And yes, they had embraced Christ, but they were still steeped in large measure in their old paganism. And so Paul is addressing this. He's addressing this. By the way, there are many people in our world today who believe that death means extinction. means that we just cease to exist. And and I believe there's hope. I do. And that's what we're going to read about. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Paul writes, and he says this. He says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel. I want to remind you of the gospel. People, it's not just non-Christians who need to hear the gospel. It's not just people who are lost and who don't yet know the beauty and the wonder of God's forgiveness. You You know who needs to hear the gospel? You do. You do. Today, you need to be reminded of the gospel. And Paul writes, I... I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you, which you received. They had received it. And on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. By the way, you are being saved. Uh, the, 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 the word here, the Greek word uh, saved, is, it's in, it's in uh, uh, the present continuous uh, tense here. And, and that I know... Y'all probably don't like to hear me talk about Greek grammar, and, and I apologize. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Bible nerd, okay? But grammar is important. And in, in, in the present tense, it, last night we watched the UFC fight. We did. We watched the, uh, that's terrible. We watched the UFC fight. That was our way of winding down. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we watched it go five rounds, and then with six seconds to go, the guy who was winning got hit hard and split his lip, knocked him. He was loopy. And um, with six, six seconds to go, that was the end of the fight. And the guy lost the fight, you know. And, and, and uh, so what does that have to do with the Bible? Nothing really. <laughs> Nothing. Except this. Except this. Let's say that, that I'm in a fight with one of these guys, one of these UFC guys. And let's say I get lucky and I hit him. Boom. Okay. And he gets a little bump on his lip. It doesn't split it. Just a little bump. I, I, I can bring up a little bump. I'm pretty sure. Okay? 
uh, and, and I, I punch him once, okay? So I, I punch him, boom, punctiliar, uh, aorist, Greek tense. And then uh, he punches me, boom. <laughs> See, there's punching, there's punching, and then there's punching, all right? And that's what we're talking about. Is that what, what the Greek text is literally saying here, it is literally saying, and the ESV captures this really good, It says, by this gospel, you are being saved. Meaning that your life is not just being saved, that we are saved from the penalty of our sin, but you are being saved from the power of sin if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. You've believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins. Of first importance means don't let this pass you by. See, everything in the Bible, throw it away. Throw this book away if 1 Corinthians 15 is not true. Save yourself a Sunday morning and sleep in next week if this page is not true. If Jesus is not resurrected from the dead, it is all a lie. It is a lie. It is worth nothing. But if Jesus is risen, Jesus is God. If Jesus is risen, this book is true. And we have hope. We have an anchor. For what I received, I passed on to you as as of first importance, that Christ died for his sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of them are still living, though some have fallen asleep, the sleep of death. Then... He, Jesus, appeared to James, his brother, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared also to me as to one abnormally born. Jesus appeared to Paul. Um, Paul writes, For I am the least of the apostles. Basically, he's saying, I don't deserve to be called an apostle. I persecuted the church. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, because God is gracious, I am what I am. I am an apostle. And his grace, God's grace to me, was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed, the gospel. Jesus died for you. Jesus died for me. And he rose again. Verse 12 says, But if it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, if it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is 
useless, and so is your faith. Sleep in next Sunday. Get rid of this book. Get a better book. If there's no resurrection, it's a lie. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we then are found, we are found to be false witnesses about God for we have testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead. But He did not raise Him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. It's futile. It's worth nothing. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, those who live the death of sleep, are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Let me pause here for a moment. Paul writes here earlier in this chapter, and he talks about how Christ appeared to many people. And as you read through the New Testament, what you see is that Christ didn't just appear a couple of times. Christ appeared repeatedly many times. The Bible tells us over a period of 40 days, he appeared not just once or twice or three or four times, and he didn't just appear to two or three people or even 12 people. The Bible tells us that he appeared over and over and over again, and according to Luke, with many convincing proofs. This was not the one-time experience of just a couple of people. It was something that was happening, and again and again and again over 40 days uh, with many people, and on one occasion, there were over 500 people present. It's, it's really interesting, is as you read through the book of Acts, on one occasion, Paul is, uh, he's being, he's on trial before this, this king, uh, Herod Agrippa. And he's on trial before Herod Agrippa, and, and, and Herod says, you know, you know I, I think you're trying to, to save me. And, and, and Paul says that, you know, I would, that all of you would be like me, being saved, except for these chains. And then he said to, to Agrippa this. He said this. He said, he, said, uh, he said, I am convinced that you know the truth of these things because these things did not happen in a corner. It's not like it happened way off in a hidden part of, of Israel. It happened here, Jerusalem. Uh, and there were many eyewitnesses. And what Paul is telling us that because there is a resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus, there is going to be a resurrection of you and me. Verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He is the first to be raised, and we will be raised too. Verse 21. For since death came through a man, Adam, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man, Christ. For as in Adam... All die, you're going to die, I'm going to die. So in Christ, all will be made alive. But each in turn. Christ the first fruits, meaning that he is the first to be resurrected, never to die again. Lazarus, of course, was raised, but he did die again. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, 
when Christ comes, those who belong to him, those who are true believers in Jesus, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power that's exalted against God. For he, Jesus, must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. People, this is a place where we can drop an anchor. For he, uh, God, has put everything under his, Christ's feet. Now, when it says that everything has been put under him, under Christ, it is clear that this does not include God the Father himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him, who put everything under him, so that God the Father may be all in all. The point here is this, is that, 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 The Father, Son, and Spirit are all equal in deity. Uh, But administratively, the Father, the Father rules over all things. And He's placed all things under the rule of Christ. What verse am I in? Oh, yeah, 28. I just been 28. Uh, Verse 29. Now, if there's no resurrection, and remember, this is what they were struggling with. They, They believed that there was no real resurrection for, you know, you and me and other people. Yeah, they believe that Jesus maybe was raised, but not us. So Paul is correcting this. He says, if there's no resurrection, what will those do who are being baptized for the dead? Now, this is a really bizarre verse here. Okay? What is he talking about, people being baptized for the dead? The answer to this is really very, very simple. It's really very, very simple. I was reading a a book on this, and... uh, and, and I was reading through a couple of different books looking at uh, this text. And it's really fascinating. Uh, in, in one commentary, one uh, theologian remarked that there are over 200 explanations of this text. You know what that means? We don't have a clue what they're talking about. We don't have a clue what Paul's talking about. Nowhere else in the Bible does it ever talk about being baptized for the dead. Never. Okay? If we create a doctrine based upon this one verse, uh, we're really going to get ourselves in trouble. Okay? Uh, usually, if a doctrine is important, it's repeated. Uh, here's the point. Here's the point. Uh, I'll, I'll give you two possible explanations, and then we'll move fast through this. There are some people, some people who try to explain this text, saying that there were there was a practice. Now, we're, remember, we have no we have no evidence of this anywhere. It's not in the Bible, and we have nothing recorded of this. But there are some people who argue and say probably what this practice was is that there were some people who were being baptized on behalf of people who had become followers of Jesus but were not themselves baptized. So, for example, the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross who says, uh, you know, remember me this day when you go into your, your kingdom. And, 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 and Jesus says to the thief, today you will join me in paradise. There are some people who believe that there was a practice of people vicariously being baptized for people who didn't get to, to be baptized. Okay. There's no evidence. We don't know. We don't know. Another possibility, and there is some evidence of this, is that that there were ritual ablutions or baptisms that were practiced somewhat by the pagans. And some people believe that this may have been a pagan practice of being baptized for the dead that the Corinthian church had brought into their practice. And 
it is true that they did bring a lot of pagan practices into their the way they worshipped. I mean, that's part of why 1 Corinthians was written. They were eating food, sacrificed to idols. They were doing these other things. They were still somewhat steeped in the paganism. It's a very real possibility. The only problem is we have absolutely no evidence that that was the case. So, how do we uh, understand this? This is what I'm going to say. First of all, Paul is not commanding us to be baptized for the dead. Paul is not affirming this as a practice. He's simply acknowledging that there was some kind of practice like this. The point that Paul is trying to make isn't about baptism of the dead. It's about the fact of the resurrection. And there were some people, whatever they were doing it for, were being baptized for the dead. And he's saying, if there's no resurrection, what will those people do, those people over there who are baptized for the dead? If, if, if the dead are not raised at all, why are they being baptized for them? He's, he's, he's making an argument for the case of the resurrection, not a case for being baptized for the dead. Uh, and then in verse 30, and as for us, us, meaning we're not them, we're not those guys who are practicing this baptism for the dead thing. As for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day. Yes, I, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he talks about this. He says, he says why are we willing to go into the arena, you know, like the Colosseum, places like that, why would we be willing to go into a, a, a place where we are basically being fed to wild beasts and die for professing our belief in the resurrection if there's no resurrection? He says, if I face death, or he talks about I face death every day, verse 32, if I fought with wild beasts in Ephesus with no harm, or excuse me, with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised... Let us eat, drink, eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. In other words, just sleep in, get up, watch the Niners, kill the saints. Oh, I'm sorry. The saints are still being sacrificed. <laughs> Let us eat, drink, uh, you know, nachos, lots of nachos, whatever you do when you watch football. And then Paul goes on. He says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought. Stop sinning. Well, what's the sin he's talking about here? The sin of denying the resurrection. Stop sinning, for there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. Verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, like sow a seed, you do not plant the, or excuse me, when you sow, you do not plant the body that that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. So, so uh, it's kind of like this. Um, anybody ever seen an acorn? When you plant an acorn, what comes out of the ground? What kind of tree? An oak tree. So what comes out of the ground? It's not like you plant a little acorn and a giant acorn comes out of the ground. Okay? You plant one kind of body, the acorn, you get another kind of body. You plant the seed and then you get whatever the seed produces. And what Paul is saying here is the body that is planted, our earthly body, is raised a different kind of body. 
Okay? A different kind of body. What verse am I in? 38? Okay, thanks. What would I do without you guys? God, uh, God gives it the seed. God gives it a body as he determined, and to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People are one kind of flesh. We have one kind of body. Animals have another kind of body. Birds, another, and fish, another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. Okay? But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is of one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. Uh, the question here is, what are we talking about, heavenly bodies, earthly bodies? Okay? The heavenly bodies he's talking about, well, here, I'll just read the text. Let's let the text explain the text. The sun, that's a heavenly body, has one kind of splinter, splendor. The moon, another. The stars, another. The star differs from star and splendor. So we have these heavenly bodies. The earthly bodies that he's referencing here could be things like mountains, hills, you know, I don't know, the Grand Canyon, stuff like that. But he's trying to create, he's trying to create analogies from everyday human experience and life as we experience it, to try to explain to us the body you have is not the same body you will have in the resurrection. That something really special is going to happen for us. What verse am I in? 42. So, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. See, our body that is sown is a body that dies. But the body that's raised is the body that is imperishable, that will never die. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, Christ, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. Christ did not come first, but Adam did. And after that, the spiritual man, Christ. The first man, Adam, was of the dust of the earth. The second man, Christ, is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so also are those who are of earth. When we are born, we have this earthly humanity after the manner of Adam. Um, as was the earthly man, so are, are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, Christ, so also are those who are uh, of heaven, those who put their faith in Jesus. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, Adam, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man, Christ. Verse 50. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen. Listen. I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, sleep the, the sleep of death. We will not all sleep. There are some people who are followers of Jesus who will not die when Jesus comes again. We will not all sleep. This is the mystery. We will not all sleep but we will all be changed. We will have this future resurrection body. We will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. 
when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to pause right there. And you're like, thank God. I just shared with you a lot of scripture, I know. And I I know that some of it may be hard to grasp. and, And part of that is just, Part of that is the text is not an easy text. And part of it is, is I'm an imperfect preacher. Okay? Um, but let me just give you a, a place to drop your anchor. A place to give you stability in the storms of life when you're facing the loss of a loved one like we are facing the loss of Wanda. Okay? Just a, a few thoughts here. Number one, Because Christ has been raised, we have ample proof that we also will be raised. See, our faith is built, our faith is built in a historical resurrection of Christ. Christ is risen from the dead. His his resurrection was not witnessed just by one or two people on a couple of occasions. His resurrection was witnessed again and again and again and again over 40 days with many convincing proofs by not just a couple of people, but many, many people, and on one occasion more than 500. Even Agrippa, Herod Agrippa the unbeliever, was struggling with trying to not believe in Jesus. It takes a lot of faith not to believe in what you cannot deny. Because Christ has been raised from the dead, we have ample proof that we also will be raised. Number two, our perishable body will one day be clothed with the imperishable. The body you have is not the body you will have. Praise God. Number three, Christ is coming again. Christ is coming again. And we will all be changed. Number four, Death is not victorious. Death is not victorious. Death did not win the victory last night at 7 o'clock. Cancer did not win the victory last night at 7 o'clock. Jesus won the victory. Jesus won the victory. And today Wanda is more alive than you are and I am. Death is not victorious. Jesus is. Uh, (laughs) Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, um, I know you're going to want to talk about this Carolyn at the funeral, and please do. But I got to talk about it this morning. Got to talk about it this morning. A couple years ago, Wanda was supposed to take eight minutes to share her testimony with our church. 
And she took 25, and the whole time she's doing this, I'm like, oh, my goodness, I'm going to have to go up and pull her off that stage. <laughs> but I didn't do it. I was kind and gracious. And she's laughing in heaven right now as I'm telling the story. It was so funny. She wrote out her testimony. She did. I said, eight minutes, Wanda. Eight minutes, not a minute longer. That's what I told her. And, and I was really, really adamant. You're going to be done in eight minutes. And it was so funny is that she had written out her testimony. She practiced it. Did she practice it with you, Joy? Or was it you, Carolyn? I can't remember who she was, was with you. And she had practiced it again and again and again. And every time she got it in eight minutes until she came here and she took 25. <laughs> but one of the things that she said, and your girls were asking about this, and they were like, what's dope? Uh, <laughs> Because Wanda struggled with addiction. Wanda struggled with addiction. And, 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 and what, what Wanda had said that night is she said, there's hope after dope. There's hope after, by the way, people, there is hope after dope. There is. There's hope after dope. There's hope after all kinds of things. There's hope after dope. And if Wanda were here today, she'd say, there's hope after death. There's hope. There's hope. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is victorious. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. This is the reason that today... A lot of us are feeling these mixed feelings. We feel the sadness, a measure of confusion, and embrace that. Don't feel bad about it. If you feel like crying, cry. I can hear someone crying back in the background right now in the nursery. They're like, Gary, please be done with this sermon. Um, You know, um, give yourself permission to grieve. Don't feel like you have to have it all together. By the way, if you need to dial things back while you grieve, if you need to lower your level of commitment, dial them back. That's okay. I, I needed to do that, and I didn't give myself permission to do that six years ago, and it, it about destroyed me. I think it's stuff like that has contributed to why I need a sabbatical today. I'm just trying to make it through the next three weeks without doing something really, really stupid. Um, you know... You know, I, I just, um, you know, I, I feel like one last thing. I need to put this out to you. Many of you have gone to church all your lives. Many of you have believed in Jesus, and it's been a faith, a saving faith. Maybe that began so early you don't even remember it, but you just all your life, all you remember is believing in Jesus. And by believing in Jesus, not just believing the fact of Jesus, but believing in him as your hope. And there are some people, some people that you came to this knowledge, this understanding, and later. But there are many people, and this has to be acknowledged and it has to be addressed, who are really, really good at going to church. But for them, Jesus is kind of like an add-on in their lives. It's kind of like having a, uh, having a really nice stereo in your car. You know, you know, you don't buy a car for its stereo. At least, well, y'all might. I, I'm not going to do that. It's nice to have a nice stereo in your car, but it's better to have an engine that works, okay? 
You know, sometimes people treat Jesus kind of like an add-on to their life instead of what's central to their life. And if you are a believer in Jesus and you've kind of lost Christ as a sinner, this is a really good time to make that central again in your life. And if you've grown up going to church and kind of believe, believe, but not really believe, this is a good time to examine. This is a good time to say, you know, Jesus, today, I want to put my hope, my trust in you. I want you to be my anchor. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to pray for us. I will tell you, and, and we, you know, I don't know when the funeral's going to be. When it happens, we'll let you know. Um, probably the day after. No, I'm just kidding. We'll let you know before it happens, okay? But as soon as we find out when the funeral's going to be, we're going to let you know. It's going to be right here. And what I'm going to invite you to do is to come and celebrate life with us, to celebrate Wanda's life, but to celebrate the life that Wanda wants you to celebrate, the life that we have in Jesus. And there are going to be people here who are going to be with us, and they need to hear the reason for our hope. They need to hear the reason for Wanda's hope. And so I want you to partner with me in proclaiming that hope. Would you do that? I know, Barbara, am I being presumptuous? Joanne, my understanding is y'all were going to help some with refreshments uh, for the reception. Thank you. So when they reach out to you, please say yes. Please do something to help with this. And let's make this a, just a, a wonderful celebration of the hope that we have in Jesus, a celebration that, that Wanda gets to spend her first Christmas with Jesus. And that everyone present that day will have the opportunity to spend Christmas with Jesus as well and every Christmas for the future. Let's pray. God, I want to uh, today, I just pray that you will use your word and whatever I've said, um, I just ask you to do what only you can do. I ask you to do a miracle with it. I ask you to take your word and I ask you to, to help us. I pray, God, that you would help us to humbly receive the word implanted that's able to save our souls. Uh, God, thank you so much for the hope that we have in Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that we have a place where we can drop these anchors uh, when we're going through these storm-tossed times. Thank you for that hope. God, we are so grateful that cancer has not won the victory. That death has not won the victory. But you have won the victory. And you share that victory with us. We thank you for that. In the name of Jesus, amen.